people and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. Does your family have a summer reading list? Maybe this summer is the time to start a new tradition. And I know a great nonfiction book to add to your list, the Bible. We want our kids to know that the Bible is true and can be trusted. But how will they know and believe that if they aren't familiar with it? Have you ever served a new food to your child? And before even taking a bite, the response is, ew. Or maybe you've gone to a family reunion where they don't know anyone and they hide behind you while you try to introduce them to your third cousin twice removed. The point is, those things seem strange to them. It's the classic fear of the unknown. Unfortunately, if we don't start introducing the Bible in our homes, the response is going to be similar. Our kids are not going to believe it's true and trusted if the words and the book itself is unfamiliar to them. If we introduce the little bites from an early age and continue as our kids get older, then the Bible, countercultural as it may seem, will taste good. We can have kids who are ready to face the world with a solid foundation. So here's your summer reading challenge. Find a Bible that works for your child, whatever stage they're in. There are great Bibles for toddlers, Bibles in so many translations for your teenagers to understand, and all kinds of Bibles in between. Let your kids get familiar with the Word of God and put a twist on it. Have them memorize some scripture or books of the Bible for a special reward and make it fun. And if you haven't already, check out our Foundations resource page on our church website. It has a list of books, videos, and other materials that can help those out who may be questioning the validity of the Bible. You can give them a chance to be a detective and find all the ways we know that it is true and trusted. And here's our challenge as adults. Read the Bible for yourself or together with your family. If your kid sees you doing something too, they'll see the value in it even more. Our children won't trust in the Bible merely because we tell them to. Trust is something that develops over time. It's not that different than when you trust your best friend. You trust her not because you've seen her resume, but because she's proven herself trustworthy. It's the same with the Bible. The more our kids know the Bible, the more they will trust it. So teach it, read it, and study it with them. And over time, they'll see how trustworthy it really is. All right, all right, good morning. That was part of our children's ministry team. That was um, Cassie, of course, from here, uh, Hillary from our uh, Beckley campus, and uh, Aubrey from our Taze Valley campus. So uh, some good words there, good, good advice. Welcome today. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. This is, as you've heard, our Foundations Sunday. And students, thanks for being in here today. I, I want you to be able to pick something up from this and apply it to your life. That's the whole reason. So Foundation Sunday is, uh, is about building into the foundations of our lives. We think, we believe that our biblical worldview is under attack, is under assault. 
Would you agree or disagree? You think the, the world is attacking, and that may be in a very open way or it may be very subtle. Often the attack is very subtle. It's a commercial, for instance. Not the show you're watching, but the commercial you're watching. Or it could be the whole show, but you shouldn't be watching it. But there are so many ways that I believe that the culture is attacking our values as believers in Christ. And I think you probably believe that too. So that's why we started this series, so that we could, we could identify for you what we believe as uh, our staff, you know, what we believe are the foundational truths. Now there's 12 of them, and this is number six, because we're doing this every last Sunday of the month. And you can look at our website and go back and look at the, the ones we've looked at. It has to do with the, cre you know, the, the existence of God and the creation and being made male and female and God's plan for our life, all those kind of things. And today, uh, we're, we're gonna look at another one. But, but Psalm 11 is where we start. Psalm 11 is kind of the basis for this series, and it talks about a time when David was under attack. And someone said, you should run. You should run to the mountains and hide. David said, oh, no, no. I've got God on my side. I've got God on my side. Why would I run and hide? He's on my side. I can win this. And so when you think about Christianity today, it's way past time we stop hiding our head in the sand or stop avoiding these issues or evading giving answers to these questions. In fact, we believe that it's so urgent is that we, we need to teach our young, our young children so that when they get into high school or middle school or college, this stuff is old hat to them. I mean, they, they know this and they're ready for the pushback from friends or professors. Psalm 11.3 says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, I wouldn't go as far to say that our foundations are destroyed, but I believe as a nation, as a world, a lot of foundations have been destroyed. Foundations that you and I believe are critical to being a follower of Jesus in this day and age. What can we do? Well, we're doing something. This is what we're doing. Now, you'll see this foundations thing go all year, and then you'll see us develop it a little bit more next year into different kinds of classes that you can take because we want our entire church to be well-versed in this information. So today is the topic of the Bible. We're going to say that the Bible is true and it can be trusted. And if it's true, it can be trusted, right? If it's true and can be trusted, then we should love it. We shouldn't worship it. That's called bibliolatry. But we should love it. We should love it. We should study it. We should memorize it. And we should obey it. If it's true. If it's not true, just treat it like any other book. Treat it like any other book. Pick it up when you want to. You know, throw it down when you want to. It's just another book. But if you believe it's true, if you believe the Bible is true, and I would think most of us do, if you believe it's true, then it deserves our attention. When faced with any situation, good or bad, but especially the bad times in your life, 
Whatever the situation, whatever the decision, whatever the dilemma, whatever the circumstance, your first question and my first question should be this. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That ought to be our first question. Now, oftentimes it's not our first question. Even as believers in Jesus, we live our lives and, you know, what, what does this guru say? What does this expert say? What does this guy say? What, what does that person say? Instead, our first question, now those are not bad questions. We ought to ask those questions as part of it. But our first question needs to be, what does God say about this? And there are some times when God says something so explicitly and so clearly that you just can't miss it. You have to ignore it in order to miss it. If it's true, we believe it is, then it's the final authority for all matters of faith and practice and lifestyle, morality. If it's true and you believe it's true, then it is, folks, the most consequential book you will ever read. If the Bible is true and you dismiss it or neglect it, then you're guilty of dismissing God himself. Agree or disagree? Billy Graham once said, if you are ignorant of God's word, then you will always be ignorant of God's will. Today we're going to talk about how we can know the Bible is true. But before we get there, I want to tell you why I love it so much. You know, I grew up on the Bible. I grew up in the church and uh, cut my teeth literally on the back of a church pew and, and the Bible. One of the first verses I ever learned as a kid was John 14, 15. John 14, 15. The reason I knew it so well, because short verse, and it hung on my wall. I had made a, a, a plaster kind of thing in vacation Bible school. This is how important vacation Bible school can be. Made it in vacation Bible school. It hung on my wall, and I looked at it every day after it hung there. And John 14, 15 says, and this was King James, because I was a King James person then. I had no choice. Uh, that's what my mama bought me, and so that's what I read. Not my preference today, but I love, I love it. I love the Bible in all versions. If ye love me, help me out. Keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, I don't know that he said ye, because he spoke in Greek. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so that was the first thing, the first thing I really learned. Now, when I was in the third grade, some people came to visit us in our class, a couple men, third grade class at Oakvale Elementary School. And uh, they, I found out later, were navigators. You know, I didn't register with me at the time. They were, they were navigators. You know what navigator is? You know, they propagate the Bible and put the Bible out. And the, and the guy said, I have a special Bible here. I want to give everybody a New Testament. But I have a special Bible here for anyone the first one who can stand up and recite John 3.16. Well, John 3.16 was just like, uh, you know, it was like nothing to me. It was easy. And I thought everybody was going to jump up. So I jumped up, just about killed the girl next to me, you know, because I was jumping up so fast. And I looked around, nobody, nobody was up but me. And I quoted John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, that's the King James, believeth in him, should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And I got the Bible. And I, I was like, man, I thought everybody, maybe they did know, they just didn't care, or maybe they just didn't get up, or maybe they knew they couldn't beat me up. That might be it. I just, that just occurred to me. Maybe that was it. So I, I love God's Word. I love the Bible. Let me, let me just give you three reasons before we get into the meat of what I want to tell you today. First of all, because we can't live without it can't live without God's word. Now, I know you might think, well, wait a minute. I know lots of people are living without God's word. Not really. Not really. They may not be reading the Bible. They can't live without God's word. Now, if you believe the Bible, then you can't live without God's word. Three or four times in the Bible, there's a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 8 that shows up in the Gospels in some of Jesus speaking. And in that passage... Jesus is talking about, I provided manna for you, but the manna was just for your physical body. I was really showing you that man cannot live, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, if you believe the Bible, you believe that God spoke us into existence. He spoke everything. That's what Psalm 33 says. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. We live by God's word. We cannot live without it. And let me tell you something. If you're living without it, if you're trying to live without God's word, shame on you. You can't be emotionally and mentally healthy. You hear what I'm saying? If you're wondering, why am I stressed all the time? Why, why am I uh, so emotional about this? Why, why am I dealing with this kind of stuff? I might, one of the first questions I might ask you is, that, uh, how much of God's word are you putting into your life? Are you reading the Bible? Are, are you getting what God says into your life? Because if you're only listening to the world, if you're only listening to yourself, if you're only listening to the experts out there who want to tell you how to do something then you're listening you start you're listening is starting at the wrong place first god what do you say what do you say and you may have to spend some time in quiet in meditation you may have to go off by yourself and say god what do you say about this and with the tools we have of technology you, you can you can find a bible verse on just about anything you want to find it on and you can call me you call me and say, hey, is there a verse about this? And while there may not be an explicit verse about that situation, because it's 2023, and that was the first century and beyond when it was written, backward, the, there's a principle in the, in the Bible that applies to your situation. And oftentimes it's not a principle. It's the very, it's the very thing that's happening. But there's a principle that applies. So God, there's nothing in your life that God hasn't said something about at least in principle secondly i love the bible because it's always proven true bible's never been proven false it's never been proven false people say yeah but there's some contradictions if, if you understand the bible and how we how we got it then you'll understand there, there's no contradictions there seem to be a contradictions but those things can be those those things can be explained the bible says itself in hebrews that it is impossible for god to lie so if there was something that wasn't true in the Bible, the whole Bible, we just throw the whole thing out, right? Because God told us a lie. 
Psalm 18.30 says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And Psalm 12.6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Now, we may disagree about something on the Bible. We may disagree. You know, there are different interpretations, different views about things. But I believe one day we'll be sitting in heaven, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, when we get there, we will have all knowledge, we'll have all understanding, we'll be able to say, ah, ah, now that makes sense. We'll be able to get together and say, you know what, you are wrong. You are wrong. And then you'll say, yeah, but you are wrong too. I'll say, yeah, we were both wrong. But isn't it cool how God did that? God did that, and, and now it all makes sense to us. It all makes sense because, you know, we're just mortal. We're men and women, and we just have limited understanding. But when, when we have all knowledge, we'll see, oh, wow, that, that makes perfect sense. Finally, we love the Bible, and I love the Bible because it is our timeless and relevant guide for life. Someone said, when the world beats you down, Open up your Bible. Anybody ever felt beat down by the world? Yeah, maybe you're feeling it today. Why not spend some time in God's Word? Why not open up your Bible? The Bible's authority and relevance for life has been proven over and over again. It's over and over again. Countless people give testimonies about how God has blessed them through His Word. Drug addicts have been cured by it. The sexually confused have been set free by it. Derelicts and deadbeats have been transformed by it. Hardened criminals have been restored by it and reformed by it. Sinners have been rebuked and hate has been turned to love by it. It's God's word is powerful. Just like we read this morning, it is living and active. That means it is ready for the moment. It is ready for your problem, for your situation. And you can read a verse today, and it might speak to you in some way. But next week, when you're going through something else, you can read that same verse, and it might knock you on your feet. It's like, wow, that just, that just told me exactly what I was going through. You understand that's how it's living and active. Paul said, to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. This is where we get the word inspiration. Inspiration comes from that word for breathed out. It's breathed out. God breathed it out. And it's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man, and let me say also women, the men and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the Bible is ready for you. And if you consider yourself a young person out there, how many of you consider yourself a young person? Yeah, exactly. I was making the same point in the first service that I'm not as young as I used to be and just did this two-week uh, annual training with my Army Reserve Unit. And I, I, I got to thinking and looking around. You know, I'm close to retirement, and I got to looking around, and I realized uh, I'm the oldest one there. I was the oldest one there. It's never happened to me. I was walking up to people who looked older. I mean, like, man, I know you got, this guy's got to be older. Look at his face. Look at his hair. And he's slower than I am. And I, I would go up to him and start a conversation. I would say, oh, yeah, by the way, how, how old are you? How close are you to retiring? Oh, he was like 53 or something. I'm like, man, I'm 57. 
So uh, I was about one of the oldest people there. I was doing a PT test and, and, uh, and the sprint drag carry. Anybody familiar with the sprint drag carry in the Army? I hate it. I hate it. It's a, one of the PT uh, elements, and uh, uh, you have so much time to complete it, and I passed it. I did complete it, but I was the last one to finish, and I heard my scorer, one keeping tabs on me, yell out to somebody else, oh, don't worry, he's old. No, he said, he's old. Oh, don't worry, he's old. And I thought, that's right, I'm old. And uh, stop trying to get me to go faster. You're young. You're young. Here's, a, here's, here's where you should live. Right here's where you should live. Psalm 119. You know, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. And almost every verse in this chapter has to do with the Word of God in some way. Almost every verse. Just a few that don't mention the Word of God. You'll see that here in a minute. Almost every verse. And this, this chapter is a piece of, of, of poetry that uh, takes as it's the first word in every section starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Daleth, He, Vav, Zion, Cheth, Teth, Yod, Kaf, Lamed, Meim, Nun, Tzamek, Ayin, Pei, Tzare, Kof, Reis, Sin, Shin, Tau. That's the Hebrew alphabet. You know how I remember that? Because I used to sing it, Aaron. That's the way we teach our kids sometimes in uh, uh homeschool, isn't it? I, I sang that. I made a song of that, so I've never forgotten it. And so Psalm 119 is titled with those letters, and every verse says something about God's Word. It's where you ought to live. How can a young person, let's say young person, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And again, young ladies, this applies to all of us. And then one more snippet from the same chapter down in verse 103 through 105. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's God's word, folks. It lights your way. It lights your way. And if you're one of those people who say, you know what, I'm reading it, but I'm not getting anything out of it, then read some other section. Read some other section. Read, read something. Get some help on that. Say, hey, what should I read? I've got this situation. What should I read? But here's, here's the amazing thing that I've discovered over, over my lifetime. And maybe some of you can give me, a, give me a thumbs up that you've discovered this too. Oftentimes, there'll be something going on in my life. Oftentimes, and I'll just... I'll just, if it's a hard copy Bible, I'll just open it up. Oftentimes, it's whatever, it's whatever verse uh, uh, the Bible app is putting forward or Bible Gateway, and it speaks to my life. Can I get a thumbs up on that? Does anybody have that experience? That's, that's how God's Word is living and active. So this verse can speak to your situation today, today. 
Someone said the Bible is the greatest of all books. To study it is the most noble of all pursuits. To understand it, the highest of all goals. But some disagree. The world disagrees. That's why we're preaching this sermon, because the world disagrees. Listen to me, parents. If you send your kids out into the big old world, and you don't, before they leave, develop in them a love for God's word, an appreciation and respect for, for the Bible, if you don't develop that in them, they're going to go out there into that world, and they're going to have nowhere to turn. They're going to get beat up. When you tell them and teach them and model for them how important God's word is in your life, then they will have a hiding place. They will have a place to go. They can open up God's word. Everybody's got a copy these days. Everybody. If you've got a phone, you've got a Bible. And, and uh, you probably have multiple hard copies of the Bible. Everybody's got one. And you can read it for yourself. You know, there have been people in other centuries in other time periods that could not read the Bible. Maybe because it wasn't in print yet. You think of the thousands of years that went and the Bible was only scarcely held because it was a few manuscripts being passed around from church to church. But thank God a man by the name of Johann Gutenberg. Anybody? 1400s put the Bible, mass produced it. Mass produced it. And you know who it made mad when he did this? The Catholic Church became angry about this because they were teaching some things at that time. I'm talking about the historical. Teaching some things that were contradictory to the Bible. And if the common man could read the Bible, he would absolutely know that they were telling him a lie. And so there was, there was a great division called the protestant reformation and martin luther said enough is enough with the lies we know what the bible says bible has has spurred people to revolution and uh, reformation and life change transformation it is the most powerful powerful book we have in our libraries so why do they disagree well because of its power but it could be because of its miraculous. You know, who can believe that a man was swallowed by a fish and vomited up to go preach the good news? Or that water was parted and six million people could walk across on dry land? Or that water could be turned to wine, that a storm could be calmed just with words, or somebody could walk on water? A crowd of thousands could be fed with a few loaves and fishes, that blind people would see again, that lame people could walk again that the dead would live again is that why they hate the bible because of this kind of thing and they believe that if you believe that then you're believing in something supernatural that they can't control they they can't understand but i want to tell you if you believe the bible then you believe in a god who has it all under control and if i can accept the first verse in the bible what is the first verse in the Bible? In the beginning, God created. If I can believe that, I, there's nothing else that's unattainable. If God can make something out of nothing, then all, there's, there's nothing God can't do. 
You know, by the way, when you're talking to someone who doesn't believe in God and they're into evolution or whatever, atheism, just ask them that question. Say, let, let me ask you a question. Where did we come from? Where did we come from? If there's no God, what, where did all this come from? And they'll, they'll go back to this big bang there. Well, there was this, you know, there was, there was this stuff. and well, maybe, maybe God did it that way, but it was, it was there and it just, it just, and then you're here. And, and you can say, well, no, go back further than that. Where did that stuff come from? Where'd that stuff come from? Oh, well, it's just always been. It's eternal. Oh, so you're acknowledging that there is something that's eternal. And so the question for them is, how did something come from nothing? And if they acknowledge that's eternal, then they're just one step away from an eternal God. So we, we have something. We have something that had to come from someone. And so when we can accept that, we can accept everything in the Bible. But why do we believe it's true? Let me try to do this in a few minutes. First of all, because of consistency. You've probably heard about the amazing consistency and unity of the Bible. Now you think about this. The Bible is 66 books written down by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages. That's the Bible. Now, what's amazing about that? It's amazing that from front to back, as the old-timers old used to say, from kiver to kiver, all the way through the maps is what they said, but not that far. From Genesis to Revelation, it has a consistent theme. If you look, if you study, it's all pointing to Jesus and then his first coming and then his second coming. Jesus is the subject of the entire Bible. You just have to study it. That's very consistent. 1,500 years to put this book together, and that's what we get. Not only is it consistent in that way, but thousands of manuscripts have been found. You think about manuscripts from the Iliad or the Odyssey, Homer's great works, or any other, any other great work that people say, yeah, that's history right there. That really happened. Of those books, those great books that people take as true, there are only a few manuscripts. I mean, a couple hundred at most. But the Bible, over 6,000 manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts have been discovered. 6,000. I mean, it kind of makes you think that this, this book was being written down and copied by people all over and hidden in the dirt. And every single one of them are consistent. In 1947, a young boy was walking in the Dead Sea area in the desert, watching his sheep. It's 1947. He didn't have a cell phone to occupy him. He just watching sheep. And he picked up a rock, and he, he threw this rock, maybe at another rock or maybe at a lizard or varmint or something. And he heard this rock go down over into uh, a, a, a cave. And it, he heard the sound of breaking pottery. 
and he went to investigate. And upon further investigation, this young shepherd boy discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were uh, a, a hidden um, a trove of the Bible. Every single scroll was there. Isaiah was there in its entirety. And Isaiah is one of the longest books in the Old Testament. Every single book was represented, I think, except for the book of Esther. It wasn't in there. And it had been hidden there by the Qumran, Q-U-M-R-A-N, this group of Jewish people who were looking for the Messiah, and they didn't want the Romans to destroy their books. And so they hid them in this cave. And this boy in 1947, almost 2,000 years later, found them. And every single book except for one, Esther, was found or pieces of it was found. And guess what? Not one shred of it disagreed with what we already had. That's impressive. And when you think about the overwhelming evidence that the Bible is true, that, that by itself it's also historically accurate. That means if a place is mentioned in the Bible or a king is mentioned, then oftentimes those kings or places have been discovered in extra-biblical archaeological digs. In other words, they, they, they were books written by other cultures about David or about Jericho or something. And so it, it is, uh, the manuscript's consistency is incredible historically accurate unlike a changing world the bible never changes and you know lastly i wanted to put on here it's indestructible indestructible yesterday there were some war pictures on uh, and you know uh, band of brothers was on and uh flags of our fathers and and you know there were there have been some leaders who wanted to destroy the bible throughout history now uh, Hitler didn't want to destroy it. He was supposedly a Christian. He called himself and knew the Bible, but he wanted to destroy the Old Testament, at least uh, do something. But there have been emperors, uh, Roman emperors, and communist dictators, and modern-day atheists that would love to destroy every Bible they could find. But guess what? They can't. They can't. And thank God for people who are still translating it into other languages and make it accessible to you and to me even as easy as a bible app on our phone don't take that for granted it's indestructible jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away there's another reason we can trust the bible is true and that's because of prophecy one major aspect of the bible is prophecy prophecy is when someone speaks about something that's gonna happen in advance. This is often called predictive prophecy. In other words, they're predicting something. Now, someone did the math and said about 27% of the Bible is predictive prophecy. That's one in every four verses. One in every four verses. Now, if you and I were writing a book and we wanted to write a book of prophecy, we wanted to predict some things. The, the chances of us getting something wrong is very high, right? So let's say I wanted to predict um, who's going to win the World Series, or who's going to win the Super Bowl, or how WVU's football season is going to go, or basketball season. Okay, well, those would be easy to get right. So, but the others would be tough to get right, wouldn't they? 
That'd be tough to get right. And so if I wanted to make you believe that I have predictive power, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too many in there. Because the more I put in there, the more chance of me getting one wrong. There's more chance of me getting one wrong. So I wouldn't put many in there, but the Bible is full of them, full of them. One in every four verses. That's a lot of verses. If God is the one behind it, then there's no worries. There's three kinds of prophecy. There's fulfilled prophecy, unfulfilled prophecy, and partially fulfilled. Uh, fulfilled prophecy, for instance, there's lots of them. I, I don't have time to go into them, but let's just say the coming of Jesus. The Bible prophesies 300 prophecies about Jesus coming, 300 or more. And not, where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would live, how he would die. Uh, that's fulfilled prophecy. There's unfulfilled prophecy. That's, for instance, that, that Jesus is coming back. Now, let me ask you a question. If the Bible got it right on Jesus' first coming, what do you think, how should we treat the Bible, what it says about Jesus' second coming? Should we dismiss it? Absolutely not. The Bible's right the first time. Good indication the Bible's going to be right a second time. Yet many of us live our lives like Jesus isn't coming back. Jesus is not coming back. Just do whatever you want to do. Partially fulfilled is, for instance, when Jesus went into the temple in Isaiah chapter, he, he, he picked up a scroll and he read from Isaiah, the Isaiah scroll. Isaiah 61, that says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, liberty to captives, opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then the next verse says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. But when Jesus picked up the scroll in Luke 4, he stopped short of that right there. He stopped short of that. He read this, which you can see on the screen there, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where he stopped. What did he leave out? He left, and the day of vengeance. So he's saying, hey, I've fulfilled this part of it. This part's coming. This part's coming. We have, to read, we have to read the Bible with that in mind. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, God told Moses, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Peter said, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man... But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's no surprise that God gets things right. He said, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. One last reason I think we can say the Bible is true, and that's the whole story of Jesus. The whole story of Jesus. One of the most powerful stories of all literature of all time. The Gospels is one of the most convincing proof that the Bible is true. Again, 300 prophecies to tell us about Jesus. Paul told Timothy, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul was talking about the Old Testament. The sacred writings were just being written for New Testament. Paul was talking about the Old Testament making you wise to salvation through faith. That's why Paul was saying everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. Why did Jewish people miss that today? They miss that. They're still looking for a Messiah. 
They missed Jesus. These gospels were written early. Some people say, oh, the gospels were written late. You know, they're like the second century. They're just made up stories about. That's not what, the, that's not what they say. Listen to uh, Luke. Luke starts his gospel. I'm going to read this fast. Luke's writing to Theophilus. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were, what's that? Eyewitnesses. In other words, Theophilus, we're telling you what the ones who were there told us. We're not making this up, but the ones who were there with him tell, told us this. Luke wasn't an apostle. He was a doctor who traveled with Paul. Peter was an apostle. He was there. Peter was there at all the big moments. And he was one of the privileged of three to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is what he's referring to here in this passage. He says, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, what's that word? Eyewitnesses. John, he was there too. Peter, James, and John, they were the part of the big three. They went up the Mount of Transfiguration and they were there for every other moment. John says, I want, to, I want to write you a letter about Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. How many times can you say that, John? Okay, we get it. You were with him. You heard him talk. You saw him do the miracles. You touched him. You're his best friend. You're his best friend. That's what John says. I'm not feeding you some story somebody made up and I heard from somebody. I was there. John says at the end of his gospels, he said, Jesus did so many other things that I don't even have room to write them all down. I don't have room to write them all down. And you know, the last thing I want to tell you about the gospels, the story of Jesus, is that the if you're writing a gospel, you would... If you were writing gospel and trying to create a religion, and you were writing it, you would kind of make yourself look good. But they're self-critical. Peter, one of the main characters, he wouldn't, ha he wouldn't have this gospel say that Jesus called him Satan, yet Jesus called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. Peter's seen as quick-tempered and impulsive and a denier. James and John in one scene are... Uh, 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 they're seen as kind of uh, power hungry. They wanted, they had to get their mother to come ask for on their behalf. Hey, Jesus, my two sons, James and John, can they say that you're right and left? What cowards or is that? Get your mom to go ask for you. Mama's boy. They had to get their mom to go ask for them. Thomas was seen as a doubter. Matthew was seen as greedy. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Why would you make your main characters with such flaws? Well, you wouldn't unless it was true, unless you were committed to the truth. And you just said, you know what? This is how it was. And that's the transforming power of Jesus to change us into better men and women. You know, all the writers of the New Testament were killed for their words. Even John was exiled to Patmos. It's not likely that many of them would go to their death for a lie. You know, when you get the knife put on your, the boiling oil or whatever it is, and if it's live or 
tell the truth or keep a lie rather you're you're going to come clean you know i'd rather live than die for something that's not true but they all died for something that was true that, that's a good proof that what they were dying for was true as recorded in the bible about six months ago i got an email in my inbox i don't know where it came from uh maybe i had seen it before but just deleted it i deleted a lot of emails you guys do that i mean it's like click 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 delete but this one for some reason this day it caught my attention and at the at the front of the the title of it was our daily bread our daily bread have you heard of it our daily bread they used to print little pamphlets i think they still do or little books you could read through the bible in a month or uh, read devotions well now they have an email version i may be way behind the game but uh, they probably had this out a while but i i stopped there and i clicked on it for some reason I felt like I needed to read what they were saying. I don't know if it was the title or what grabbed my attention. And, uh, and it really meant something to me. It was a little devotion, suggested reading. It even has, if you're reading the Bible through in a year, here's, the, here's where you ought to be today. Suggested reading. And then a, a pretty, a pretty uh, well-written devotion. It doesn't take long. And then a prayer. And then some background information on the book or the passage that you you just read and so i began to read those every day every day did it come early in the morning so i get up i go make my coffee i sit down and read the bible but also read that devotion read that devotion sometimes i'm lazy and i let it read it for me there's a play button so you can read it in your car and sometimes they do a better job than i could because this nice voice and they put the inflections where they should. About f- four minutes, four minutes, it's all over. Wow, this is, why didn't I find this earlier? This is a great infusion of God's word with some practical application and prayer into my life. Now, I'm not saying I didn't read the Bible before or that I didn't do that kind of thing before, but this is so consistent. They send it to me every single morning. You can do that too. Just look it up, Our Daily Bread. Sign up for their emails, and you'll start getting some God's word in your life. I think it's a great, a great tool. Just, that was for free, all right? You didn't have to pay for that. That that was all for free. Our daily bread, because man cannot live on bread alone. Almighty God, thank you for your word, your powerful, powerful word. May we give you praise for it. Thank you for it. Help us to get it into our life, our situations into the lives and hearts of our children and grandchildren. May it be commonplace in our family. May it just flow from our lips. May the Bible be like any, anything that we would do every day. May it be a part of our lives. Thank you for it. We believe it's true. And because we believe it's true, we want to study it and obey.